Hello and welcome, welcome and hello. This is Wait You Haven't Seen, and it's a podcast where we talk about movies, specifically a movie that somebody on the panel hasn't seen before. I'm your host, Travis, and joining me this week, I've got AJ. How's it going? Good. And David. It's me. (laughs) And uh, so this is our 15th or 16th episode now, Um, and this week we are talking about the 2004 Kung Fu Hustle. Uh, which is a um, a comedy from writer-director Stephen Chow. And uh, I have seen this before. AJ, you've seen this before, haven't you? <laughs> Several times. Okay. Yep. But David, you hadn't. No, of course not. Yeah, surprise. Um, so this one's pretty fun. It's, a, it's definitely a comedy. It's got a lot of uh, just ridiculous nature to it, but it was, uh, it's a, a riot to watch. Um, I enjoy it every time I see it. Now, here's the thing. So it's streaming on Netflix right now, which is how I watched it this time. And it's in Cantonese, uh, you know, English subtitles. I'm fine with that. I have no problem. I promise you I have seen this movie in a dubbed version, but I cannot remember when or how because the, the copy that I had on DVD, I'm almost positive, was in Cantonese as well. So I don't know where or when I actually saw an English dubbed version, but I know I have. Um AJ, it's out you, there somewhere. Yeah, I you, was running through some of the background on the film and did run across some comments people had made that the English dub version uh, the almost had its uh, its own script. It was uh, it was different enough from uh, the subtitles um, to go ahead and, and and be very noticeable, not just you know a reorganization of you know oh we said this first or we adjusted grammatically how that was done, uh, but that some of the jokes were just completely different. So I really would, kind of would love to see a you dubbed know, copy. I can't recall having watched it in English before. So it's weird though. Um, I must be having a major Mandela effect because when I'm watching it, especially this time, and I'm reading the subtitles. I'm hearing the voices that I heard in the in the dubbed version with the exact same lines, <laughs> like where he where he walks up to the beast, you know, and he's like, "You ever see a fist that size?" Like, I can hear that in the voice of whoever dubbed over Stephen Chow. Uh, I I can hear the voice that the beast had, but I I don't know. It's it's really really weird. Um, now, having said that, I don't mind a subtitled uh, movie. Doesn't bother me at all. Um, nope. Great films are in subtitles. Yeah, it doesn't. For me, it doesn't take away from it. Um, you know, there are there have been times where, depending on my mood, I might choose to watch something dubbed versus subbed. Uh, with anime, that happens to me a few times. Not so much because I don't want to read, but there's some some dubs that that work okay for me. Now, sometimes it's because that's the first way I saw it. Uh, it like Princess Mononoke, for instance. The first time I saw that was a English dub. Um, so, you know, I just, I have a, a stronger nostalgic connection to that, I guess. But um, I don't have a problem with subtitles. David, wh- how do you feel about them? You watch a decent amount of anime, don't you? 
I do. Um, and it's interesting you brought up Mononoke um, because of the first any anime of any kind I can remember watching other than like Pokemon or whatever, which was pretty Americanized at the time, um, was Spirited Away. And my first viewing of it was the English version. Mm. And which, as far as I know, is the specific version that won the Oscar. Um, I don't believe the Japanese version was, uh, which seems like a weird distinction. But you know, and then, you know, seeing that originally when it came out and thinking, man, this is such a cool movie. Um, and now as an adult watching anime and watching uh, Studio Ghibli films, um, like I watched uh, Howl's Moving Castle, which is, of course, incredible cast. Mm-hmm. Christian Bale, uh, Billy Crystal as Calcifer, just awesome cast. Watching it dubbed kind of feels weird. Because it's like, I know what it's supposed to look like. <laughs> you know how it's supposed to sound and it doesn't sound that way? Yeah. Yeah, but obviously Billy Crystal's an incredible voice actor, but it's mm-hmm. not what I think Calcifer should sound like. That's fair. No, I, I get that. Um, it, and, but this this movie didn't bother me at all. Subtitles didn't bother me at all uh, in this. And you, it's sort of par for the course watching a movie like this. Yeah, a lot it, of the Chinese, the, the Chinese films that get a decent appearance uh, in the U.S. market do tend to be subtitled, not dubbed. Or at least, you know, when they first come. I, you know, uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Um, I don't know if there's a dub for that. I'm fairly confident that every time I've watched it, it was subtitled. Um, you know, that entire group of films. Yeah. It just... It kind of depends, too, though, on the film, because if you look back at a lot of older Hong Kong action films um, or just foreign films in general, if they got a release in the U.S., typically there was a dub done. It might not be very good, um, but if you look at, like, old Jackie Chan movies, if you look at old Jet Li films, if you look at a lot of stuff, if it got a release of any kind in the U.S., it got dubbed. But somewhere... You can go back even further to like the Bruce Lee's where like, Mm -hmm. you know, some of those dubbings are comedic, you know, you will see the mouth move and then it goes, you have offended my family. We're going to duel now. And like, I mean, flying. Yeah. And and then it just, it doesn't meet up whatsoever. And I mean, I've, I've seen that referenced and made fun of in other films. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you know, it has happened in the past, I guess today more, I guess, I would think more people take it more seriously when doing the dubbing to try to hit the talking points so that at least matches the mouth moving, if yeah. not what the mouth looks like it's saying. But I think, I think too, to a certain extent, there was somewhere along the line, there was a changeover where more films would get released, either limited release or DVD or home video release in the U.S. that didn't dub or gave you an option. They had an English dub. But by default, it was a subtitled thing, um, depending on the movie. I mean, you still saw a lot of dubbing for... And it, it depends, too, I think, on how they're produced. Like, a lot of Jackie Chan's movies, especially in the 90s, were a, a combination of Hong Kong and Australian productions. So there would uh, they would do a lot of that. Um, I know the old Italian ones. Uh, I was talking to somebody <laughs> the other day about uh, Hercules with um, Lou Ferrigno. And that's an mm-hmm. Italian production and what the what those old italian productions would do is they would cast everybody and they would just have everybody speak their own native language while they were <laughs> shooting it 
because they were going to go back and dub everything over anyway. So if you if you ever watch one of those, go back and watch one. It's kind of funny because anybody that's Italian is speaking Italian. Anybody that's uh, that's American or English is speaking English, and then they just dub everybody over into English. You want to know? <laughs> I think it's it would be so amazing if there were still copies of the original audio because that would just with with like english subtitles that would be so oh, be, so funny to watch that would to be see you know the, the italian the spanish the english the you know, conversation like the entire time would be so funny i want to say I, yeah i, I want to say there was some <laughs> of like the spaghetti westerns that did that too like django or something where uh not django unchained this is django no yeah um, yeah but uh I'm, i know there's a few of those out there too but um anyway get, getting back kind of to, to kung fu hustle a little bit more the final subtitle point i would have to say yeah is never forget the classes classic adage dubs are fine you're all just weebs <laughs> <laughs> nice nice no i i think too this movie while i still i'm having this very very strong memory of seeing a dub of it I read something where uh, Stephen Chow was saying that doing an English dub would be hard because there's so much of like Chinese culture in it that the doing a translation can be a little tricky. And, you know, I can see that. I mean, look, this is not a movie that you come into for plot, at least not as an American audience. Um, you know, it's we talked a bit, little bit about this on the last episode with Running Scared, how the, the plot of Running Scared is paper thin at best because that's not... The, that's not why the movie is being made. The movie is being made for the comedy and the action. Um, and the plot is just there to loosely tie everything together. Sort of similar with this. This has a lot of like um, narrative tropes and uh, you know, you're getting a lot of a lot of the tropey things that would come out of old Hong Kong films, old uh, old martial arts you know films. It's kind of all rolled into one in this. But then they add on the the extra layers, like the cartoony special effects uh, and the cartoony powers that everybody's got. And um, I don't know. I think it makes for a really fun movie. But watching it the last couple of times where I've seen it uh, subtitled like this, I think I I just prefer it that way. Um, I liked it. I'm gonna have to agree with you. It's enjoyable film, fun to watch, and the subtitles don't get in the way whatsoever. Now do. Either of you have have either of you seen any other Stephen Chow films? So he was he was primarily an actor for most of his career. Through he started acting in 1981 uh, and acted through the 80s, through the 90s. Then he got to start kind of doing some producing and directing and writing. Um, but I don't know if either of you have seen any of his other uh, directing jobs. I think I've seen part of Shaolin Soccer. Okay, I have was... seen Shaolin Soccer, and yeah. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And mm-hmm. you can see the style he has represented in Kung Fu Hustle that he also used in uh, Shaolin Soccer. I mean, you had some of that cartoon being applied to real life mm-hmm. uh, effects that uh, were, were enjoyable. They were fun. Um, you know, kind of let it the movie not take itself too seriously and that i think goes a long way it doesn't take itself too seriously it has fun with you know the the silliness that it's going to have um yeah that was going to be the one i was going to ask about because shaolin soccer was kind of the movie that um basically got kung fu hustle made in a way because it did it did so well commercially that they started developing kung fu hustle almost right after that 
Um, now here's here's something kind of cool. So Stephen Chow writes, directs, and stars in this, right? Um, first of all, this movie got a ninety percent approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes, um, which is awesome. But uh, Shaolin Soccer or Kung Fu Hustle? Kung Fu Hustle. Um, it won a bunch of uh, Hong Kong awards and uh, Hong Kong Film Awards, Golden Horse Awards. Um, it reviewed really, really well. It made almost a hundred million dollars worldwide. Um, how old do you think Stephen Chow was when they made this? Uh, probably a lot younger or older than 38. Is that right? So Stephen uh, Chow. Oh, AJ, go ahead. I'd throw it somewhere in like, you know, mid early 30s. Okay. Stephen Chow was born in 1962. Oh, wow. He was 42 years old when this movie came out. (laughs) The dude looks like he's 18. I know. (laughs) Well, Um, and a lot of the actors in this are older than you would think because they got a lot of uh, retired or former, um, you know, 70s kung fu uh, actors in this. So, like, uh, Wa Yen, who was landlord. you know, the uh, the guy that plays um, Taylor, uh, he was, you know, he had done a bunch of older uh, older kung fu movies. Like, these guys were in their 60s when this came out. I think the guy that played Taylor was, like, 60 or 61. I mean, I would have guessed him in his, maybe in his 50s, but not pushing, you know, over 60 years old. Yeah, so, he was born in 43. Yeah, yep. The landlord so was one. <laughs> landlord was born in 1950, so he was over 50 years old. Who, by the way, yeah. he was he was probably my favorite character in it. I landlord, just, yeah, what a he, redemption! He cracked me up. Oh, it, for, right from the beginning, I, I just enjoy him. But then when he finally lets loose and starts fighting, it's his style that just he's just rubber man, and it's sort of like drunken master almost. It's a little <laughs> bit of that, yeah. Yep, and you know it. One thing I love about these movies is how, like, over-the-top expressive everything is. You know, everything is ratcheted up to 11, whether it's uh, someone getting slapped or kicked or the way that they react to a line or the way a line is delivered. Like, I love just the the, the hammy level that you get from, from these movies. Well, it, it comes across like a live-action cartoon. It I, really I guess does. I mean, like that. It's that style of of over emoting and you know craziness happening. It makes me think of like the old Looney Tunes, you know, Coyote, <laughs> Roadrunner sort of stuff. And they they did it, but it was live action, and it's enjoyable. It's fun to watch. Oh, absolutely. Um, I don't know it would go over as well with a more serious film. You know, some of the uh, like the Jetly dramas. I'm not sure you could have that that style no um, which and you don't see it in something like that or a crouching tiger hidden dragon everything is much more subdued but i just feel like in when you go into a especially like hong kong cinema when they're gonna go when they're gonna ratchet something up they just they go right to 11 whether it's john woo and his early stuff or jackie chan or you know even jet lee when he does even because Jet Li doesn't didn't do a lot of comedies early on. He had a few com- comedic elements, but like if you ever see Fist of Legend, it it ratchets it right up. It's crazy, and not to this level. This is obviously cartoonish, but I mean, you have the <laughs> landlady spends the entire movie with curlers in her hair and a cigarette hanging out of her mouth. That's like straight out of Looney Tunes. It really is. 
It felt like uh, it felt like if Leslie Nielsen was making a kung fu movie. <laughs> yeah. He did that though. Felt like he he did that. Don't you remember mm-hmm. Surf Ninjas? <laughs> no, I do not. I forgot Travis. that existed. <laughs> Well, if you haven't seen that, maybe we'll have to put that on the list and, and dig a copy out of some archive somewhere. I've seen most of his movies. Because you should see that. Plus, it's got Ernie Reyes Jr. and Sr. in it. And Rob Schneider, everybody's favorite. Um, oh, boy. Yeah, I know. I'm really selling you on this, aren't I? No, I I agree. Uh, it is that like the, um, airplane-style comedy. You know the naked gun style comedy, but but also like again taken up another level with the use of CG. Which personally, I'm glad that this movie was made when it was because the CG, even as good as it is, still doesn't look completely real, and I wouldn't want it to. I want it to have that cartoonishness without going. It doesn't quite go as far as something like say The Mask in terms of like cartoony, but mm-hmm. it. it it really toes it that close. line. Yeah, it, it toes that line. Like when he was figuring out his stomp oh, move that... at the end of the movie, and their feet just look like pancakes. Again, yep. like a Tom and Jerry cartoon. Yes. Yep, that or, uh, you know, when in the beginning of the movie when she beats up uh, Landlord and kicks him out the window, and he lands face down, and then the, the flower pot hits him in the back of the head and splits open. Like, <laughs> that was straight but out the, of a... the dirt's all contained. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I just it's it's a ton of fun now um, you probably couldn't name any of these characters without me telling you like landlord or Taylor but they actually had names Um, Stephen Chow's character was named Sing I Um, I knew that actually I knew Sing well you know they never they never use many of the names in the movie Um, yeah to, to be fair even IMDB lists a lot of them as like landlord and the beast and landlady yeah, well, I mean, that's so, their character names. But I'm saying, like, Singh had a name, even though you never really hear uh, it. Bone was his, you know, the, the tubby sidekick. Uh, um, what was the other one? Oh, the girl. The the girl with the big lollipop. Her name was Fong. She, I swear I've seen her in something else, but I think it's just because I remember her from this movie. Because, you know, while she doesn't say anything, it's it's all these just long looks. It's all long shots of her. So I think whenever I watch this, I keep thinking, what else have I seen her in? But no, it's just remembering this movie. Um, I liked the old man, the beggar, um, even though he only shows up like once or twice. He reminded me, um, there was a movie Jet Li did a few years ago called Fearless. Either of you ever see that? Yes. Okay. No. Big surprise, David. Um, <laughs> there was an, an old like beggar type character in Fearless that sort of reminded me of the beggar in this movie. Um, I don't know if you remember him or not. It was the same, like, just that same grungy, grimy look with, like, the nappy hair and and dirty face. And for whatever reason, I just, they they seem very similar to me, even though this character is actually more subdued than the one in Fearless, (laughs) which is kind of crazy. No, I, I enjoy this movie. I enjoy kung fu films in general. Like, I've always been a fan of them. I will watch Jackie Chan movies all the time, Jet Li, uh, even old like Sonny Chiba, Gordon Liu. Um, you know, it's it's a lot of fun for me because you can just kind of, you can check your rational brain at the door. You don't have to think super hard about it. It's not uh, it's not a genre of, of movies that usually have intricate, deep plots, but they're just, they're fun. It's fun entertainment. 
and I love the way uh, I love you know good choreography and the uh, the dance that it is because there is a there is a cadence to it all. And th- this this played on a lot of tropes from the genre in in a good ways. Oh yes, absolutely. No, this mm-hmm. was a this was a loving send up of uh, you know kung fu movies, definitely. Uh, and we've talked about that a little bit before, where um, you know I appreciate when something is done in either uh, parody or um, you know kind of poking fun at something, but done out of a place of like respect and love, um, which you can tell this. I mean, Stephen Chow spent a lot of his career acting and in, in uh, doing stunt work, which is where the line in the movie that cracked me up. He could do he could be anything he wants, a doctor, a lawyer, eh, probably a stunt man. <laughs> it was a good line. <laughs> uh I just wanna give you a fun piece of trivia that I just found out. Sure. Uh his sidekick Bone, the mm-hmm. actor, name I'm not gonna try. Um uh quick quiz. How many kung fu soccer movies has he been in? Um apparently at more than a, one. At just a quick glance of his IMDB page. All of them? <laughs> I don't know. Let's uh, oh, uh, half a dozen, half the a dozen, cor- six. Correct answer is three. Oh, well. he has been in Shaolin Soccer. He was in Funny Soccer, and he <laughs> was in Soccer Killer. Hmm. Well, those put that are... put that on the trivia page. So yeah. that's uh, that's two more kung fu soccer films than I knew existed. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> um. So here's a neat thing. Uh, the woman that played Landlady, uh, Yen Chi Ki, I shouldn't even try pronouncing it. Um, she did not audition for this movie. <laughs> she was with a friend of hers who was auditioning, and she was sitting there smoking a cigarette and had a sarcastic look on her face, and they were like, you're perfect. <laughs> she was actually retired from acting. She had been in uh, The Man with the Golden Gun and a bunch of small stuff in the 80s, and then she retired. This was the first movie she had done in like 19 years. That's fun. Yeah. Well, she was awesome. She was great. I love the uh, the chase with her and uh, Stephen Chow. <laughs> yeah. That's straight up, you know, Roadrunner cartoon. Um, yeah. No, it's fun movie. A uh, lot of a lot of cool choreography, and there's something to good choreography, whether it's with wires, without wires assisted this had obviously cg assist and uh you know things done to people but um it didn't detract i don't think from the action the way that it can i have seen it in some movies um i'm thinking of uh, what was it i think dragon ball evolution used some cg in some of their fights and it was terrible ah, what a wa- good movie to reference <laughs> and compare well it's a terrible movie, but part of the reason it was so terrible is the choreography and the stunt work I just couldn't get behind. And it has a connection because Stephen Chow produced that. Oh. So, oh, baby, what is you doing? <laughs> um, uh, that's interesting. If, if I can think of one property that I don't think would convert well to live action ever, ever. <laughs> it's probably Dragon that. Ball's up there. Yeah. I think the key, though, is if, if one were to do it, and I've, I've never watched the series, but I have a lot of friends who have, and I've uh, seen an episode here or there. 
But I, I've always got the impression that you wouldn't, you shouldn't try to turn it into a film. It would be better off being done as like a soap opera, because then you can take your thirty or sixty minute episode and like still not have a fight. You know, just drag it out that entire time. We actually have the camera just talking and doing their thing without actually fighting, which seems to be what the entire series is actually about. Well, whatever they do, I hope they cast a Japanese person to play Goku. That would they be won't. a good start. No, it would probably be like Matt Damon. <laughs> he is versatile. He is, but Japanese he is not. Um, who was it that was in Dragon Ball Evolution? I don't even remember what his name was now. Justin something. But, no, I, oh. just, Justin Chatwin. Chatwin, wow. No, it's just there's something about... Emmy Rosen was in that? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Let's take a look at the live-action Ghost in the Shell. Like again, we have a we have a tradition of whitewashing things, you know, with American cinema. Yes, although to be fair, I don't know. I never pictured Major Makoto necessarily as strictly Japanese. I don't know. Maybe I'm way off on that, but I still have to see the live action version. But I just the way I pictured her because because of you know kind of who that character is. Um, because there's a lot in that in that series. Because uh, I love the uh, the series standalone complex, and there's a lot of characters in that that I don't I don't picture as being strictly Asian necessarily. But uh, but that's Ernie that's, Hudson was in it too. In what Dragon Ball? Yeah, yeah, I remember. <laughs> I've I've watched that movie once, and uh, it was it was rough. Um, no, I. But getting back to kind of what I was talking about is that's an example of stunt work and wire work done poorly. And it's one thing if you do it poorly, like in when they made fun of the wire work in Austin Powers, where it, it's meant to look bad. But when you have yeah. a movie that they're trying to use it and it just looks terrible because because the people that they have doing it are no good at it. You know, it's one thing if you're Jet Li and you're using wire work because he's already a phenomenal martial artist the and he knows how to work with the wire rigs. But when you don't... It looks stiff. It looks wrong, and it throws everything off. And good choreography, whether it is in a straight up kung fu film or it's in something like a uh, the Bourne films and their style of fight choreography, there still has to be a cadence to it. There still has to be the beats to it. Um, it's very rhythmic. Uh, Sometimes that rhythm is uh, like a, a crazy metal drummer and it's polyrhythmic, but there's still a rhythm to it. So that's where a movie like this uh, can get away with, you know, going over the top in the wire work um, and it not feel like complete cheese. Um, similar to how like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon got away with a lot of crazy wire work because of the type of story it was trying to tell. And so you could get away with people running where they're, you know, they're running on the tops of trees and stuff like that. So I just, I think they actually, did, you know, at least in that film, uh, they did a particularly good job. You, you know, everyone knew it was wire work. It wasn't just like, oh my gosh, a little assist, but it, it, it seemed to have a flow. I mean, it, it really did. The, it, it didn't seem disjointed at all. I, I always thought that that was particularly good wire work for that for the style they were doing. Oh yeah, absolutely. I'll just throw that out there. That and the colors were amazing. Oh. Well, okay, so here's here's another example of uh, wire work that takes took me out of the film and is just terrible. And that was 
all the wire work they did in the Ben Affleck Daredevil movie. Mm. Okay, because Ben Affleck and Jennifer Garner, say what you want, they can be athletic as you want. They're not martial artists, like by trade. They didn't come up doing that like like some of these uh, other people did. Even Jason Statham, you know, he's he can get away with a lot of it because he's practiced in the art. Whereas that's the whole scene in Daredevil where they're in the playground and they're they're doing their thing and they're flipping and landing and balancing and all this. Yeah, okay, cool. It's stuff that, you know, probably came out of the comic a little bit, but that mm-hmm. took me right out of that movie because it looked bad and it didn't it didn't it didn't have the rhythm that you want to see. Um, you know, Jackie Chan, I've seen uh, I've seen documentaries and behind the scenes stuff him talking about part of the reason that he always works with the same crew is because they all know the rhythm. They can he can he can on the spot choreograph something because he knows that his crew can find the rhythm and they can work off of each other with nonverbal cues. Mm. Um, and you really and see it works. Yeah. Oh yeah. You, you notice now uh, if you watch old, like say 1970s Kung Fu films, especially stuff that um, I want to say, and I'll look this up, but I think it's Yen Wo Ping. There is like almost, you can, you can almost sit like a metronome, and catch the the rhythm and it's very like all the movements are very pronounced and you you start to catch the the rhythm as they go and that was one thing i think i remember seeing or hearing jackie chan talk about how you know he had done a lot of those early on in his career and then he wanted to take that same idea but not necessarily always have it be the same rhythm every every fight or every action sequence um so that's where he started experimenting with different, you know, different rhythms, but still keeping a rhythm. Yeah. And it can feel super disjointing when, you know, it's super, super crazy, you know, intense stuff and then an abrupt stop. Uh, and as one sort of comparison I would make is the entirely CG fight in the second Matrix. Yes, with all the Mister Smiths right after meeting the Oracle, mm-hmm. that is a ba- an example of bad rhythm, I think, because he was like ambushed immediately after talking with her, and then it immediately stopped. Yeah, there was no sort of work up to it. Yep, exactly. That that is a great example because this movie had how many different fights, and you had a lot of slow down, speed up, uh, you know, different different tempos throughout the fights but they always it's a testament to somebody who knows how to choreograph and knows how to pace an action sequence that you can have something that can start off with one guy versus a hundred and end one-on-one and yet the tension and everything has ratcheted up to that final as opposed to going in the other direction so like the the first major fight with the axe gang where wherein you know, it's Sing faking being an Axe Gang member, sort of standing up to people, building the tension, saying he's going to fight everybody. And then there's sort of the, the throwaway laugh lines where he picks all the ripped people and the tall guy. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, he's about to get axed. And then the first guy steps in. Yeah. And then they call for backup. And then the second guy steps in. And then there's even more. And then the third guy steps in. And then the landlord steps in. It yep. just sort of keeps building and building and building in such a good way. Yeah. That's... And it's the way it builds keeps you in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it keeps you invested. Even though, 
I mean, like I said earlier, from a from a Western perspective, the story seems and feels very disjointed, and like there's there's big leaps that happen, but you know, it's still it's tied together. I think better than than some would think. Now, there I know people that would see a movie like this and they just don't get it. They don't. They're like, wait, it doesn't make any sense, and why, you know? But it doesn't have to make sense. So, like, shut up! It's great. <laughs> it's a lot. It's fun. Just shut up and have fun, <laughs> damn it. Yeah, and and they mix yeah. in the right amount of just straight up comedy scenes too. Like when he's getting ready to throw the knife at her, and he chucks <laughs> the knife, and it bounces off, and it catches him in the shoulder. And like by the end of that, it's just it's ridiculous. It's gone to a a, a stupid level, but it's so funny. Just because you think, okay, all right, what what else are they going to do for it? And then the guy reaches back to to throw the knife, and instead just stabs it into him and throws the handle. Well, you know, the, the, the really the the beauty of that particular scene was the fact that he still threw the handle and it hit her in the head. Yeah. Uh, other yeah, I've seen other you know gags like that where you know oh I accidentally stab and then they they stop. But this was he accidentally stabs and it come the knife comes out of the handle. Yeah. And he still flips the handle at the landlady. And it hits her on the head, and she gets pissed. And, like, that was just, like, you know, icing. It was, I, I particularly liked just the way they did that. Well, and then he's like, wait, how did this? And he pulls the knife out and then puts it back in. <laughs> Very airplane, as you were saying a minute ago, in that yeah. particular, like, the whole, like, take it out and shove it back in. That does, you know, bring me back to, like, Airplane or the Leslie Nielsen films. Yep, that same kind um, of humor. <laughs> Um, so one thing I do want to talk about with this was the the uh, the sets because that set for um, the pigsty was awesome. That whole, great set. I mean, yeah. that thing was like I I know it's not it doesn't actually exist, but man, I want to go just check it out. Like it's just cool. <laughs> it's such a cool set and such a great way to uh, build something like that. It's sort of like a uh, a super super small version of like the mega city buildings from dread exactly and i i do really appreciate when a movie can stay small like that and you know it doesn't have to go beyond there yeah they had a couple they had some stuff that's in the city but that you can tell was probably a back lot as well but this was the big one apparently it took them like three or four months to to put that all together and get that all built. i don't i'm not surprised that that is a particularly massive set yeah um, it was a big set but it was just cool looking um it, it, yeah so there were some uh, edits done to the original version of this movie um, that uh, when it moved to when it went to mainland China and then later on in the U.S. release, um, they, they altered a few things, censored a few things. So uh, one of them you might have noticed is there's a shot where let's see um, during the night scene right before the attack from the two guys, uh, the two musicians. There's a One long... of which looked exactly like Penn Jillette, by the way. Yeah, he did kind of look like a like Penn Jillette. You're you're not I just wrong. Kept there. Of Penn um, there's a long shot where they keep showing um, or a long take where they're showing people around the pigsty and what they're doing, and there's a a dude that's just got his pants pulled down and he's crouched. I don't know if you noticed him or not, but apparently, in the original cut of the movie in the the Hong Kong version, he um, he's pooping. And there was a piece oh, of I, there was a piece I, of paper underneath him with a pile of poo on it, and they digitally took that out. So, but they I, left the dude with his pants around his knees, crouch, you know, squatting in the movie. 
so I I I must have been watching a a different region DVD then, um, because I saw a piece of paper and that that did like kind of stick out. I was like, why is he poop? Why is he taking a <laughs> shit on a piece of paper? And I didn't like see any anything. It was just like him crouching over a piece of paper, which I guess anyone that's ever gone camping overnight and yeah. not you know in a campground um, knows like that that is you know. Not dissimilar to what using the facilities is, but I just, I didn't understand, you know, like on a piece of paper, and <laughs> I, I didn't really catch the like the cultural difference and like how that worked out. I just went, huh. Well, my That's guess, yeah, I mean, my guess is that okay, you know, they're that poor that they can't even afford a bathroom in this place. But it was funny because watching, because I was watching it on Netflix, and I noticed mm-hmm. that I'm like, oh, yeah, that dude's just squatting down pooping only nothing nothing actually happening <laughs> um there was a few other shots that they edited um let's see when the landlady knocks the landlord down out the window so that little bit we were talking about earlier apparently in the original version when the plant hits him in the back of the head you see a little bit of blood come out from underneath his uh underneath they took <laughs> that out um there was another spot of blood that they took out so AJ, you can tell me if maybe you saw this or not. When Singh, when uh, when he first gets to the village or the the pigsty, and he yell, you know, he has the lady come up and she punches him, um, and she says, you know, hey, I'm a farmer. When when she yeah. did that in the one you were watching, did he spit blood? I did, think so. Because the version that I saw was the edited one where he doesn't actually spit up any blood. He just has blood in his mouth because they digitally removed the blood uh, from that. I. Hmm. I would have to go back and watch again for something that specific. I remember the scene, but I don't remember if it was just blood in the mouth or. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know there was a couple like that because there was a, there was two of them involving the beast. One where he punches him when he's in the casino and he first hits him. There's uh, in the, originally there were a couple more shots of like blood spraying and his head knocking back and they didn't have that. Um, so it's just interesting the, the the edits that they would do to to send it to mainland China and then they just kept that for the U.S. cut. So. <laughs> okay, eh, sure, odd. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you know who was a fan of this movie? Bill Murray. Huh. In an August 2010 interview in GQ, Bill Murray praised Kung Fu Hustle, saying it is quote the supreme achievement of of the modern age in terms of comedy, and that there should have been a day of mourning for American comedy the day that movie came out. I mean, he liked it. He wow. apparently did. Um, surpassed Shaolin Soccer uh, to become the highest grossing Hong Kong movie made in Hong Kong. Uh, might have been surpassed since then. I don't know. Um, no. Uh, let's see. Do, 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 do. During the jailbreak, Stephen Chow's character turns down a hallway, which reveals an elevator door gushing blood. I liked that. That nice little shining reference was cool. Yeah. Um. No, I I enjoyed this movie a lot. Uh, I think it's one that I think any fan of kung fu films should see this because of the the loving nods to kung fu films, but also just the ridiculous nature of it. Um, I I'd go as far. You know, sometimes there are films uh, or even TV shows that uh, kind of provide a, a soft landing into uh, a genre someone's not familiar with. Um, you know, I, I think you guys had mentioned uh, anime earlier. I know I've seen other people who, you know, oh, I never watched that. And then you get them to watch something like, uh, is it Mushishi? And, like, they can appreciate that. So it gives them, a, you know, a taste 
of something different that they end up liking. I could see this film doing that for someone who's not a fan of the more traditional Kung Fu films because the comedic style is over the top. I think, you know, Americans with at least the, the subtitled version can appreciate the humor, can appreciate the jokes, not just the slapstick nature of it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you know, I don't think that it's just something that would appeal to the Kung Fu lovers out there. And I think it would go well with the comedic Jackie Chan movies. Absolutely. Yep. Too. I was just going to say that if you, if you like Jackie Chan's more comedic stuff, you know, his stuff like uh, Rumble in the Bronx, like First Drunken Strike, Master. Drunken Master, uh, you know, Who Am I even is one of those. His brand of action and comedy, you'll like this movie, definitely. Um, but I do think this is a good way to get people into some of the other, even if you're, even Jackie Chan fans tend to kind of watch his movies and that's about it. But I think this is another kind of doorway into some of the other um, kind of Hong Kong cinema. Um, because you can watch this and then you can move on to seeing, you know, some of Donnie Yen stuff. You can get into the, the funny stuff, Sammo Hung. You can get into some of the more serious stuff. You can even venture out into like early John Woo stuff. Um, as you start to kind of, you can go down that rabbit hole, but I think this is a good introduction to it because it's approachable because of the ridiculous nature of it. And and then atop the peak of martial arts movies, uh, on top of the pyramid of Mortal Kombat movies, <laughs> solidly lies Dragon Ball Evolution. Yeah, yes. And that's uh, the end of the podcast now. <laughs> Don't uh, forget the live action version of The Last Airbender that that too was Oh, I had forgotten about that. Uh, next you're going to start talking about the live action Fist of the North Star. I I've forgotten not seen about that. that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm not familiar with that one actually. There, look, if there's a if there is a a, ba- a possibility of a bad live action take on something, it's been made, I'm sure, because whew, man, those are those are three pretty bad ones right there. Last Airbender was just boring. Well, and look at the budget for that thing. Like that was this giant waste of money after they'd had a very successful, you know, animated series. Um, to go ahead and really just cap it off with that giant steaming pile <sighs> of not fun. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that Who to me. Chose Shyamalan. Uh, who chose Shyamalan? Honestly. I don't know. I mean, look, the the guy can direct a movie. He just he pigeonholed he himself. He his ability to do so. Well, he pigeonholed himself early on after the success of of The Sixth Sense. I think Last Airbender was his attempt to try and get away from that, and he may have been a fan of it. I don't know, but that to me is probably a uh, a greater sin than Dragon Ball Evolution because of how good, not just well liked, but how good the series is of avatar yeah. and how bad that movie was like Dra- dragon ball evolution is a flaming hot pile of garbage okay it's bad but i would say that avatar the last airbender series is a better story than the dragon ball story especially dragon ball z i liked dragon ball z it's fine i prefer i actually prefer the uh the first series dragon ball but it's still it, it is what it is, and so it being made into a bad movie, yeah, you can kind of see that happening. 
Avatar is a, is a campy series. It is. And Avatar is such a well-done series that to then make that movie out of it is, the to me, the greater sin. Uh, actor Randall Duck Kim had the honor of being in both of the movies we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. I mean, thankfully, he are, was Are in there any Kung things he's been in also that we should just perhaps comment on or we shy shall forgive from? him for oh. his performance as the key maker in Matrix. Yes, and uh, also uh, in Kung Fu Panda. Uguay, the turtle. Yeah, because he's yeah. Uguay, and Uguay is awesome. I like Randall Duck Kim. Like, I like him a lot, but, you know, actors got to eat. The doctor and John Wick in The Continental. Mm-hmm. But hey, I mean, actors yeah, so. got to eat. They got bills to pay. So. Somebody comes uh, along and say, hey, we need to play Grandpa Gohan. <laughs> Those Bugattis don't buy themselves. Hey, man. Checks cash. I mean, come on. Burt Reynolds did an Uwe Boll movie. Okay. The Bandit did an Uwe Boll movie. So. <laughs> Liam Neeson isn't anything that someone will write a check for. <laughs> Him and Nick Cage. I'll do it. <laughs> well, I, I just, I thought, so, you know, it's not really a spoiler because he's a, you know, you can look on IMDb and see. Liam Neeson is in the new Men in Black film that, mm-hmm. You know, I don't think it could be a spoiler if you're just like a character in the movie. They don't really show that, at least not in the previews I saw. I saw him in one trailer. Okay, uh, he, he's definitely the bad <laughs> guy. By the way, I, I'm not 100%. gonna I'm not gonna comment on it. I, I I thought it was fun to watch. You know the the movie. They didn't wreck anything in my opinion. Um, you know, I think they could make another one or two after this with the the same group if they wanted to. Um, you know they. They did it. They did the movie correctly without wrecking anything beforehand and without being a flaming pile of something now. But Liam Neeson has demonstrated that, like, if they will write a check, he'll go okay. Because you know there, there were interviews with him about being in uh, the oh gosh, what was the series um, where his daughter kept getting kidnapped. I'm blanking now. Yeah, Taken. So I think it was after like the second or third film, he made a comment about like, well, they can't really make any more. You just have to look at how poor, how bad the father does at being a father. And you know, it was they were laughing about it. And like a year later, they announced the next one. Yeah. And it's just like, yeah, because they're writing these big checks. They have lots of zeros. You go, huh? How many months of work for that? Okay, yeah, that, that, that'll work. I, I can buy a franchise. Um, you know, whether yeah. that is football, soccer, you know. <laughs> Papa John's. I don't know, but like that's the level of money they're writing these checks for. So yeah, I get it. You know, someone said we'll give you a lot of money to be in really cra- you know mediocre or crappy films. To so go, okay. I imagine uh, both of you would do the same. Oh, absolutely. Uh, the difference is I can't act. Um, well, I'd like to point said, out that which there one are... of you said Nick Cage? Uh, I did, and uh, <laughs> yeah. The, Trust me, there is plenty of evidence that most people in movies can't act either, but they get paid for it. Uh, the difference is, David, you're not pretty enough. That's what does well, it. Well, that and... Ouch. And, 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 hey, I'm not saying... You're isn't not a, you're Nick not Cage a, like... You're a like, good-looking like, dude, but you're not movie star. Um, it's okay. Well, None of us I brought up Nick Cage not to be insulted, personally. <laughs> uh, I just want to say, calling it right now, we're in the beginning phases of a Nick Cage renaissance, starting with Spider Noir and Into the Spider Verse. See, the thing with the thing excellent. with Nick Cage is Nick Cage can turn in a good performance when he really wants to. I mean, I've seen him in quite a few things 
that I, like Lord of War was amazing. Uh, yeah, he actually did a good job on that. He did a great job on that. I think he was good in Matchstick Men. I think he was good in uh, Kick-Ass. Yeah. Honestly, for, for how mediocre of a film it was, quality-wise, um, but just enjoyment level, especially if you have kids, uh, the National Treasure films, honestly, those are fine. You know, it's going to win an Oscar, but, like, you know, he played the part. He did it well. He actually emoted a few times here and there. Yeah, well, so last week when we were talking about Running Scared, um, and we were talking about the fact that it is it is an enjoyable, entertaining movie, and we started talking about the director and some of the stuff that he's done, like Time Cop and, uh, and whatnot. There's certainly a, uh, nothing wrong with doing a movie that's just fun entertainment, and that's how I felt about, exactly, National Treasure. Um, you know, last week's movie Running Scared is like that, although I... I have way more of an affinity for running scared than I probably ever should. But there's nothing wrong with doing movies that are just fun entertainment. Not everything has to be high art. You know, not every movie has to be Schindler's List. You can do uh, a Jurassic Park as well. And Spielberg did that in the same year. So I resent the implication that that's not art. <laughs> it's very different, though, you have to admit. It's very different. But the thing about it is, like, and these actors, you know, whether it's Nick Cage, whether it's Liam Neeson, whether it's uh, Jackie Chan and some of the stuff that he's done, like, he's famously n- doesn't care for the Rush Hour movies, but they certainly made him a whole boatload of money. Um, I would reckon they made him a lot more money than he made on most of his other movies. Absolutely they did, which is why he did three of them. But And I think they're doing a fourth. Uh, there's talk of a, a fourth one, yeah. But I, I will never begrudge an actor for taking roles and taking jobs that pay. Because that is such a difficult profession to have longevity in, that uh, and it's so easy for you to just be yesterday's news and not start, not get roles. And uh, so, anytime you know actors do stuff just for the money, that's fine. If somebody's going to throw money at a project and they want Nick Cage to be in it, and it ends up being the Wicker uh, I, Man, oh well. Like, I, I think that there's a bigger thing that the American actors are missing. And that is, they should all move to Britain. My argument here would be, the Brits love to work. And then they're always working. But then you look at the people who, you know, maybe are a little out of relevance, as we might see them, or at that age. And they're just in films together. You know, how often does Judy Dench work? Eh, All the time. Yeah. Well, you know, like the thing, though, is that, yeah. But the thing is, the movies are getting, uh, movies are made in Hollywood. They still, it's still the biggest movie place. Whether it's a, uh, you know, Marvel Cinematic Universe level Avengers Endgame budget, or it's something that's being made for a couple million dollars. I mean, Karen Gillan made a name for herself in Doctor Who, but once the run of Doctor Who was over, what did she do? She came stateside and started working on projects. So, you know, that's that's where the the you know the money is. So. I'm just. All where, I'm saying. I'll, is, I'll give you that. I'm gonna. I'm gonna throw a little asterisk though and say it's where the money is for English speakers. Because Bollywood, I have, I have you know a few former coworkers who are from India and you know love love their Bollywood films, especially the long, you know, four and five hour epics. Some of like that is some huge production these days. I mean, some of the stuff coming out is just you are correct. Inspiring. Yeah, you, things that like we would never try in Hollywood anymore. It almost is like a throwback sometimes to the American golden age of like 
you know, Cleopatra, you know, something of that scale, we just don't do anymore. It's just all green screen. And they actually have, you know, several hundred people dancing. You're like, oh, wow, that is one hell of a shot. So, no, you're you're yeah. correct on that. Also, speaking of dancing, um, this movie had a little dance number at the beginning of it that, that was awesome. <laughs> the Hatchetman dancing. Yeah, the all the axe gang, and where it starts out with one, and it's every time they cut away, they come back. There's more of them. That yes, that set so the tone. Good. That set the tone early for what this movie was going to be, um, and uh, it still gets me every time. Because I keep I forget how many times they cut away and come back to it, and it's like there's twice the number of guys. Which which is interesting because it kind of starts a little more brutally with the the crocodile hat gang or whatever they're oh, yeah. called beating down the cops and like wrecking the place, and then the axe gang you know takes the dude's legs off and guns down the woman. Yeah, and and it's a dance scene. Yep, exactly. It's like that, which that sort of goes against our earlier pacing argument. <laughs> a little bit, but it's also they're they're setting up what this is going to be, and they don't pull any punches early on, and then they also bring in the comedy. So yeah, there, there's some balance going on there. Because um, there was, I mean, there was a decapitation in this movie. Granted, it was you know out of frame, but uh, you know this was this movie was kind of brutal in some ways. The cat actually was probably the worst thing. Yeah, watching the cat get cut in half by I mean, the still invisible swords. Yeah, granted it was, again, out of frame and it was a silhouette you saw actually get cut in half. But still, I remember the first time I saw this and there's that tracking shot. And I'm like, oh no, there's a, no, no, no. Oh, and they cut the cat in half. They sure did. Well, uh, I want to thank you guys for joining me this week because this was a cool movie. So let's get uh, a final verdict. Now, I like the movie. AJ, you've seen it a number of times, so you like the movie. David, first oh, time yeah. seeing it, would you recommend this to other people? Excellent film. Absolutely. Good. Well, at least I'm, I'm doing a better job of finding stuff that you like. It, it knows exactly what it's trying to be. It knows exactly what it's trying to parody, which is so important in parody. And it pulled it all off well. All right. Well, um, as always, at this point, uh, I just want to let everybody know, um, you know, if you want to subscribe to this show and catch us every week, we put out episodes every Saturday. You can do that at tvstravis.com. There's a big subscribe button right there. Uh, it'll take you to a page where you can subscribe in Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. You can get the RSS feed and put it in your own podcast player of your choice. Um you know, get in, uh, get into the forum or the the posts, and you know, comment. Let us know what you think. Um, give us reviews on Apple and Google. That helps us out a lot. Uh, the more reviews we can get, the more exposure the show will get. Um, and uh, you can find me on Twitter as TV's Travis, and uh, I post about the show there uh, a little bit here and there, and uh, just my random musings. Um, do either of you have uh, a Twitter or anything that you'd want to plug? Not one that I haven't edited since middle school. Yeah, I'm about to which say, which might I, be required. That's fine. I have the ones I have haven't had posts in about four to eight years. So okay. Um, so you're talking about I, I, I would I just also throw out there, uh, even if you aren't interested in subscribing, hey, click that button anyway, right? You know. Well, yeah, subscribe. You don't have to listen. Just subscribe. <laughs> That's all. That's all we ask. Um, but no, we do we do new shows every week. Um, 
and uh, you know, we take. Uh, I I am open to suggestion for for you know movies to do. Um, I'm not sure what our next one's going to be yet. I'm figuring that out. I've got a a list I'm working through. Um, but uh, we've had a few good ones. We're you know trying to keep uh, keep it mixed up in terms of kind of what we do. I don't want to fall into too many uh, traps of you know doing the same movie type of movie over and over. So this was a nice change to do something that's overtly comedic. And Kung Fu, you know, last week was Running Scared, which is also a comedy, but it was a buddy cop comedy. Uh, we did a lot of talking about that. So, um, but yeah, just uh, tvstravis.com is the place to go to find anything you want on this. Um, but uh, until next week, I want to say thank you to David. Oh, yes, that's me. Yes, that <laughs> is you. Uh, thanks for joining last me. Last I checked. Yep. And uh, AJ, thanks for joining us this week. As always. And uh, remember to enjoy your movies. This has been Wait You Haven't Seen.